Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen wolf And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Eating While Broke. Today, we have special guest Datavio Samuel, CEO of Revolt TV, America's fastest growing Black-owned media company. And as we all already know, Revolt is owned by hip-hop mogul Sean Diddy Combs. Okay. Datavio sits at the intersection of culture and content as one of corporate America's youngest executives. Eating While Broke. Yeah. What do you have us eating today? 
so today we are eating a dish that uh, my father, who I love dearly, passed away in February of 2020. Oh. Um, I didn't grow up in the same house with my father, but every time I would go there for the summer, he would have a special meal for me. He knew I loved omelets and he knew I loved seafood. And so he used to make seafood omelets. And so, you know, we weren't balling. So it's imitation crab. And uh, I have always been, everybody got quirks. Yeah. Uh, I have a quirk that's about hot sauce. I literally put hot sauce on everything. So we have uh, a seafood omelet with imitation crab. And of course, you got to have hot sauce. Louisiana hot sauce. You're, you're not from L.A., but you value hot sauce. Oh, yeah, yeah. My father's Jamaican. Maybe oh, I'm a... Jamaican, too. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Go on. My All father's right. Jamaican. Mm-hmm. Uh, my best friend is Jamaican, the one I was telling you about okay, with the okay. Kanye West painting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, I've been eating hot stuff my whole life. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, you like oxtails? And... I do like oxtail, but I'm definitely more of like a jerk chicken, oh, okay. jerk curry salmon, chicken. browns curry chicken. Okay, yeah, okay. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. You're speaking my language. All right, maybe we should have made that. No, yeah, yeah. No, I'm <laughs> Pretty sure anything Jamaican doesn't fall into the broke unless okay. mama's making it, you know, and stretching it. Yeah, yeah. Have you, um, we would literally go, have you, have you spent a lot of time in Jamaica? I haven't been yet. Okay. I'm, I'm waiting for my, you know, bank accounts to grow up a got little you, bit. <laughs> One day we'll go, we would go, um, to Dunn River Fall and go crawfish hunting. We let it go into, so again, you could do it broke. We go with the little gun that was made of sticks and we capture them with our hands or shoot them with crawfish guns and then come home and cook them. So yeah, you can do Jamaican fruit broke too. What? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So do you want to go ahead and cook off this dish? Yeah, so I'm going to do it, but real full transparency, we're going to see how me talking and cooking goes, but you know. I think you got this. My family came to the States as, um, on that side, I'm first generation American born, mm-hmm. and um, they used to work for white people, right, mm-hmm. in their houses, cooking and cleaning. I say all that to say that they were expert cooks, so oh, I had wow. great teachers. I probably haven't cooked this dish in probably 20 years. Well, do you so cook at see. home? I do not. Oh, so you're one of those orders? I'm one of those orders. Uh, I, I ran out of time. I can tell you, I used to cook at home all of the time. And in mm-hmm. 2007, I took over the Walmart account. I was running a creative agency, took over the Walmart account. I have not cooked every day since then. Um, life wow. has just been too busy and too crazy. As an executive? As an executive, I definitely don't feel like I have time to cook. So what are the ingredients for the dish today? Okay, so butter, just because you got to make sure that the eggs don't stick to the bottom of the mm-hmm. pan. Uh, we got a couple of eggs, and then we're just going to throw imitation crab on it. You know, people could do salt and pepper and cheese, however you want to do it, but that's what we got today. And then we got Louisiana, which you'll be able to use. I'm not putting it in there. You're going to be able to use it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I just, I just recently did an episode with a, a Haitian okay. person, and they had this uh, stuff called Pickley's. Okay, I don't And I almost... Uh, Died on on, on the hot yeah, sauce. While, yeah, while we do were doing too. it, I couldn't breathe. No, nah, it's gonna be dealer's choice. Okay. All right. Okay. So this one this is, is this little, one, it's, right? It's totally electric. Try yeah, not to. Is, I love. Put I love your hand setup. on it. Thank you for that. <laughs> I feel like we're missing some stuff, like some salt and pepper for you. Nah, we good. You're. you're Good, you know, good, when good, I heard, I was really excited about getting you on the show. I've been asking about you for about three months. Mm-hmm. I want to say three, four months. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I I was really happy to see that you accepted the opportunity to come. But I was a little nervous because I was like, oh, he's an executive. He went from Stanford. You know, he's, you know, and then you had your request 
about your question about Starbucks and matchas. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. He's going to come into the studio and, you know, he's going to be in for a rude awakening. Because, you know, <laughs> he may he may have arrived and changed or switched up. But you've been nothing but cool since you oh, came in. You, so I got to ask you, hmm. when was the last time you actually ate hmm. this dish? Yeah, it's been a long time. I've, I, the answer is I haven't eaten it since my father cooked it for me. And I'd be shocked if he's cooked it for me within the last 10 years. So it's definitely been some time. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's definitely been some time. So take me all the way back. Because I don't know how you get to a C-suite position of me Revolt neither. TV. Me neither. Coming from brokenness. And I'm imagining like I'm going to be extreme levels of inspired. And I'm going to talk about you all week. Okay. So I <laughs> how far back all, we going? I want to go back to the origination. We could start anywhere around the point of this dish. Copy. Um, okay. So let me think about it. All right. Uh, grew up in Denver, Colorado, in a town called Montbello. Montbello was an all-black, mostly black. I remember my classes were probably, they felt like they were 98% black and brown. There was two white people in my class, and I still remember their names, Sarah Canosa and Paula. And I have a terrible memory, so the fact that I remember them. <laughs> Just um, goes to show that. Okay, okay. There was like two. Um, long story short, uh, my brother gets ready to graduate from high school. He's on his way to college. And uh, I went to go visit a friend of mine. And on the way home, I'm riding my bike. My bike tires pop. And uh, I end up having to walk my bike home. Uh, I get jumped by a couple of crips on the way home. I literally think that they are going to take my life. I remember being like a four by four. And they're like, go get that four by four out the, um, out the grass. And I ran. And my brother's, uh, my brother's best friend was like two blocks down. And I run with all my might, get to the door. I'm knocking and knocking, waiting for someone to come. No one comes. I turn around like, oh, it's about to be a no one is there. And uh, I thank God. I run home. I'm in tears. My mom sends me to my father's house for the summer. And when I come back, I'm in the suburbs. Um, now that I'm in the suburbs, my life is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, the environment is different. The quality of education is mm-hmm. different. And that's when I learned the power of your environment and the power of education. And so with that, you know, I'm playing sports. My grades, I wasn't gifted and talented, but I, uh, my grades were going from A's to B's to C's to mm-hmm. D's. Now that I'm in the suburbs, I'm back to being an A student. Wow. You don't um, think it was the fact that you were under your dad's reign? You think it was just the environment? It's just the environment. I'm not trying yeah, to take away with, from mom or dad. No, 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 no I was only dad. with my dad for three months. Man, okay. She sent me there for three months for the summer. And then when I came back, I was oh, in a wow. whole different school and a whole different um, environment. And for that, I've always given my mom all the credit and all the love because whatever sacrifices she made to make that happen were the ones that fundamentally changed my life. Wow. Um, and so grateful for her and all that she's ever done. And so in that, now I'm in school in the suburbs. Uh, let's see. I end up doing very well on my PSATs. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, uh, I get into probably 20 schools. Um, because we were broke, I didn't apply to any of them. The only schools I didn't get into are the ones that made me pay. Who made me pay? So I can call them out right now. Georgetown tried to make me pay. What? Yep. Nope. That was a problem. I'm going to put this in this bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UC schools, my dream school was UC San Diego. Mm-hmm. I was actually rapping at the time. I can ramble, FYI. So you just going to have to tell me what you want me to talk about. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I was rapping at the time. We were recording in La Jolla, California. And um, I fell in love with San Diego. So San Diego became the school I wanted to go to. Anyways, the UC schools wouldn't let me in um, without paying. And we didn't have the money to pay. So I didn't do it. 
Out of the schools I get into, I decided my top four were Seton Hall, Morehouse, Emory, and Duke. Mm -hmm. Never went to Seton Hall, crossed that off the list. Um, went to see Emory, went to see Morehouse, and then when I stepped on Duke, it was like a wrap. Yeah, this, the, okay. the the skies opened up, the sunshine. God said, "This is where you're supposed to be." Um, so I ended up going to Duke University. Best decision I could have ever made in my life. Do you um, think that is what made your trajectory to where you're at now? Without question, okay. I didn't know at the time that Duke was as good of a school as mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. um, neither one of my parents stressed me about college and mm -hmm. school. They knew I was going to go. I was a good student. Mm -hmm. And so they just kind of let me be. Uh, when I get into Duke, I'm the first month U.S. News and Reports come out. Duke, the number three school in the nation. Uh -huh. I'm blown away. Uh -huh. I'm like, how on earth am I yeah. the number three school in the nation? Um, with that, probably make the next second best decision I've ever made. Uh, the next best decision I ever made, which is I decide to pledge a fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi. Okay. And one, I'm a huge believer in Kappa as an organization, but there is something that is so special about the chapter of men that I became fraternal with. And they become they became my brothers, my coaches, my mentors, my mm -hmm. advisors. And so through them, you know, none of my parents had done business. None of my yeah. parents had done anything that I'm doing. But through Kappa, I now have people who may be five years ahead of me, but mm -hmm. they can guide me and coach me. Um, so anyways, have a phenomenal run at Duke. Uh, mostly partying, step shows, uh, enjoying life. And let's see, what's the next big moment that happens? Mm. Next big moment for me is second semester senior year. Two big things happened in my life. Um, one... I take a marketing course. And throughout all of my time, I was always relatively good at school. Um, honestly, even at Duke, like I never bought books. I could show up at class. I only went to school on like Tuesdays and Thursdays and get a B plus, right? Left with a 3-3, wow. but did very little work. Again, parties, step shows, all those things. So you're like a fast learner. Yeah, I used, to say, I used to say I'm not smart, but I'm bright. Like I could pick things up relatively okay, okay. quickly, sit in the classroom, listen to the teacher, pick it up and be good. When I took this marketing course, it was the first time like my soul had ever been lit on fire for a subject. I wanted wow. to know everything about marketing, the mental acrobatics it takes to get someone to want something, buy something that they didn't know they wanted. It was so intriguing to me. I discovered this career called advertising. Um, so anyways, at that point in time, I decided I want to be a CMO. Most CMOs. The CMO is a chief marketing officer. Thank you. Chief mm -hmm. marketing officer. Most CMOs um, went to business school and had MBAs. Mm -hmm. And so I started saying, oh, I got to go get my MBA. So let me pause there really quickly. Before, let's see, January of that same year. So this is while I'm in that class. We get in this massive fight. Um, it's the Kappas versus the Alphas. Uh, me and my boy kind of get into it with some guys in the party. It turns out to be this massive fight all across Dukes with what's called West Campus, their main okay. campus. Um, I don't know what it was, 30 on 30. It was crazy. Cops come from everywhere. Mace, it was horrible. Again, um, on the way home, I'm so frustrated with the way the police had handled the situation. I was the president of NPHC. Um, which is the National Panhellenic Group, meaning all the Black Greek organizations. I was frustrated that they had let a group. The, the issue wasn't the alphas on my campus. The, the alphas came from another campus. Mm -hmm. I was frustrated that they had let this happen with yeah. these people and that they were taking it out on us. 
So I go and I have one of my line brothers take me to the police station. I go into the police station and say, look, it's my senior year. I don't want any beef. I just want to put something on record so that me and the police get into it again. We have a record that there's been previous interactions. They never take my report. They end up delivering a bunch of paperwork, which ends up being uh, felonies and misdemeanors, inciting a riot, resisting arrest. What? Refusing to disperse, right? So my senior year... The two things that are happening is I have both found something that has set my soul on fire mm-hmm. and I want to do. And I'm at the same time fighting for my life and my career while at Duke. Um, because of the citations they gave me, I'm not only fighting it at Duke, but I'm fighting it in Durham. So I end up fighting to stay at Duke so I can graduate. Um, the reason I, I graduated and was able to do that is because, again, my chapter, Kareem Cook, um, big bros came in, talked to the police, worked with Duke and ended up saving my career. So I ended wow. up graduating from Duke. And at the same time, I couldn't do the same thing on the Durham side. Did you want to put that up before you put it? I don't really know. What you think? I think you should. Okay. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to cook and hey, talk. You know, this man, thing, this thing, this thing. Out. I ain't never had to cook, talk, and be on camera. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a long story. I can cut this story short. I tell you, I can ramble. Long story short, um, they saved me. Um, I ended up pleading no contest at uh, in Durham. And wow. so I ended up getting like 100 hours of community service um, and get out of it. The key piece there is I'm applying to jobs with mm-hmm. the record um, in 2002, which was like a recession, which made it incredibly difficult to get work, incredibly difficult to get a job. Um, my whole time I was at Duke, I worked at Fuqua School of Business. Mm-hmm. There's an incredible black woman, Liz Riley, who was the head of admissions there, Sharon Thompson, her number two. They gave me a job in the Career Management Center. So my first job out of college is working at the Career Management Center. Yes, love. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> 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 but I'm just curious when all this was going on with uh, with the uh, with them putting felonies and all yeah. this stuff. Was there a part of you that felt like quitting, or were you emotional? Like I would love to know what yeah. your state of being was. Yeah, it was incredibly difficult. But and I'm not gonna tell somebody else's story. But it just so happened that one of my other fraternity brothers, who was one of my best friends, was also in trouble with the police. Mm-hmm. And so we were going through it at the same time, and we were roommates. And oh. so the benefit that I had was that I was not doing it on my own. Yeah, it was he and I were both fighting for our lives at the same time, which is one of the reasons why we are as close as we are today. Do you feel like that, and I don't want to get too far off, but do you no, feel like it makes you look at the police a certain way, or do you have an emotional yeah. tie to that? Because yeah. that could have, that could have, you know, transitioned your life into a completely different direction. Like they, sure. they didn't even realize the damage that they were about for to sure. cause for someone that's going to Duke. Sure. You know. For sure. Um, yes, but I don't know that it's any different than what I think any other, mm-hmm. you know, black male, black female kind of deals with. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think we all, so many of us have our own stories. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, of course, um, it was impactful and impactful for the rest of my life. Um, how's that looking? Now that, that you don't have that, me cut it up and that looks good. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to help you. You know what though? Tell I, me, talk to me. So you. You graduate from Duke. I graduate from Duke. You you continue on at Stanford? Well, I end up working at the Career Management Center mm-hmm. at Duke for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, apply to business school, end up getting into Stanford, which is a blessing. Did you have um, to pay for it? Yeah. Yeah. Dang. Stanford was two years, $125,000. Do you still owe the money? 
Yeah, when I graduated from Duke and Stanford collectively, I owed one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt. Do you think it was worth? The, I have to ask. Do you think it was worth the every penny? Okay, and every why penny. do you say it was worth every penny? When I was working in the career management center at Duke, I was making twenty nine thousand dollars a year. When I come out of Stanford, working at Johnson and Johnson, I'm making ninety five thousand. And that's a year. your start. I tripled my salary in two years. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, and then it's just the symbols. Right. So as I'm applying for jobs to get out of Stanford, people are saying to me, it's just different. You don't, you don't know what it's like until you're on the other side. But people are saying from the top banks and from the top consulting companies, clearly you can do the job. We just need to make sure you're a cultural fit. I couldn't do the job. I've been working in a career management center okay. for two years. <laughs> you know what what I mean? are they like, basing it on? Like the name Duke of the school? And Stanford. Okay, yeah, okay, it's okay. the symbols. And yeah. so those symbols open up so many doors for me and continue to open up doors for me. So because of that, without question, it's worth it. Yeah, I always feel like when, when, and at least, I mean, I'm a college dropout, but um, I used to always, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but <laughs> but I used to always say that if I went to school, I would only want to go to an Ivy League school because I knew that my peers that went to that school came from one economic, different economic yeah. background. Yeah. And I knew that their roller decks alone and that relationship Absolutely. alone would help me Absolutely. get to where I want to be. Fortunately, you know, I didn't have like <laughs> the academia to support it. <laughs> but, you know, it was, you know, in my next lifetime, like that would be a dream of yeah. mine. But I, I didn't get to get the opportunity. So it's cool to see, hear you say that that played a, a huge role. Yeah. Did it help you in any way get to some of your more elite, I would say you're mm-hmm. like when you were at I-1? And you were the president. You were the president, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did any of those relationships help you get there or was it just the Stanford? Uh, so what I'll name? say is, so I'm at, I'm going to go the job before I won. So I'm at Johnson & Johnson doing global marketing. I decide I want to do advertising. It just so happens that one of my fraternity brothers from Duke works at the number one Black-owned multicultural agency in the nation. And they were looking for someone who had an MBA in my skill set. And so the whole reason I get my next job at Global Hue is because I went to undergrad, literally the guy pledged me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's how I ended up getting the job. While I'm there, I get promoted every year for probably six, seven years in a row. Um, And so that's how kind of my ascent really happens kind of quickly. So by the time I meet Kathy Hughes and Alfred Liggins at Interactive One, I was already a president. And so they hired me on as a president. And you're young at that point. What age are you? Like Yeah, I probably became my first president at 30. Okay. Um, I probably became president at 30. And then I went to work for Kathy Hughes, I think, when I was 33. And and if you don't mind me asking, like, what would a salary of a president be at that age? Like, you're 30. You're going to feed me to tell people what I was making. Okay. I mean, this eating while broke. I'm trying to, we're trying to get the skinny, you you know, inspire us. Inspire us to go to school. Okay, so um, I came out of Stanford making 95. By the time I left Global Hue, I was making $425,000 in salary. You hear that? I need to, uh, <laughs> we're going to pause eating while broke and uh, get a college degree right now. You, I, tell you, I, I was, heard it's hard to get into Stanford after, like, if I wanted to go right now, I, yeah. I couldn't, right? Because there's, like, too much real world experience, right? Yeah, you'd have to do more of, like, an executive program. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I heard about that. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember one time I tried to get into Harvard, like, don't ask me why I tried, but... I, hey, I was going to shoot my shot, but they had said, like, if you were an entrepreneur for a certain amount of years, 
you could only get into the executive yeah. program. Yeah. Like the daytime program is usually for people who have been out of school mm-hmm. four years. Like mm-hmm. four years is the average. So mm-hmm. call it two to six. Okay. So okay. as long as you've been working more than six, then you probably. But it doesn't give program. you the same credibility as someone like you, right? I think it gives you the credibility. I think what you miss is that point that you were talking earlier about, like the importance of the network. Yeah. And so when you're in school every day with these folks for yeah. two years, yeah, I think I, I think of it's course. different than when you see each other only on the weekends, right? Yeah. And at Stanford, like there was just this belief that we were all going to win. And um, literally I would walk into finals and my classmates would be handing out notes saying, oh, I made notes that are going to help us all crush the test. And they passed it wow. out to you when you walked in the there was no like there was no competition it was now was this teamwork. amongst the blacks or was this amongst no, all this the, the way whole... stanford moved it was the way stanford business school moved yeah, now i don't know special. how the real the other special. schools do it but it i can't imagine wow what an experience you make me want to go to school yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was special. so you're 30 you're you're clearing that much money which and, and that's all don is. coleman so again don coleman um don coleman alan Pugh, rob chavis Silva chavis promoted me every year for six or seven years. And I remember, and I give Don Coleman so much credit. I don't know, I might've been making 250 a year and I was running the Detroit office and I was- Oh, 250 in Detroit? Yeah. You were living like a real (laughs) boss. I can only imagine what you were doing in Detroit. You were walking. <laughs> were you flossy or were you just regular? Nah, low-key? Yeah, I'm always been the same. This, this, this. Me, Detroit I'm, is crazy I'm never to make change. that much money in Detroit. Yeah, it was I would good. feel like a real a boss. Yes. Yeah, it was great. Like, did I, you want to buy a whole couple blocks? You're like, you know, I'll yeah. take this block. Don't worry about these buildings. We'll just no, because anywhere you can buy a bunch of blocks is not somewhere where you want to live. Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. 
And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Detroit for seven years. Wow! So do you still go back and visit? I do. I still have property there. You have pro- I still have friends there. Why am I not surprised? How much property do you have in Detroit? Just one. There's a um, in 2007 mm-hmm. they opened up a Westin Book Cadillac. It had been used to be one of the tallest buildings I think in Detroit or definitely in the mm-hmm. U.S. Um, it had been you know, dilapidated for 20, 30 years. They brought it back and they had a Westin hotel in the bottom and condos at the top. And so, so you have a you have a place in downtown Detroit. And downtown. Do you know that's, how that's much the, the value is in downtown I Detroit do right I mean, now? It's on the market right now. If anybody wants <laughs> okay, to buy, it. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. If anybody wants to buy, yeah, it, downtown Detroit is very uh, very pricey now. It's it's it can give no. Kelly a, a run for its money yeah. right now. That property has at least. I mean, at one point in time, it had doubled in price. It's kind of come down a little bit since COVID, but no, it's still, it's still okay, nice. Okay, okay. I want to check that out. And I'll tell you, I um, walk into the New York office one time, and Don Coleman hands me an envelope. I'm like, what's this? He hands me an envelope. I open it up. Your new salary, $425,000. I don't think I ever made a salary with a three in it. Like, this black man just knew and believed in me so much that he almost doubled my salary um, without me even asking. All right, so uh, that's why you got to work for black folks. No, I mean, look, we all did you purposely choose to work for black folks, or did you? Oh, you did. It was a conscious Uh, choice. It was. It wasn't conscious before, Mm -hmm. but look, here's the difference. I'm at Johnson and Johnson. Mm 
and um, they won't promote me. Mm-hmm. And when I ask my boss why they won't promote me, he tells me, I can't even tell you because if you the reasons they don't want to promote you are the same reasons you're great. And I don't want to dim your light. And so that told wow. me that who I am doesn't work in this space, right? Yeah. Um, so then as, as Global Hue is recruiting me, I'm now walking into an advertising agency in Detroit that feel like Boomerang. It ain't nothing but 25-year-old, 26-year-olds, black, brown, oh, yellow, what? like you on the black side, they popping Jay-Z and, and Notorious B.I.G. You move over to the Latinx side, they salsa, like it was just such an energy. And um, when you compare that to the corporate world, it was like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. And then from that day on, I worked at a Black-owned company since 2007. So where does Revolt come in? Yep. Um, so my father dies February 2020. Uh, COVID hits March of 2020. Um uh, and at that point in time, I was in final rounds with revolts. So I don't know if you want to go backwards, but um, I end up getting the offer in April of 2020. Okay. Um, decide to make the jump and start working there June 2020, which is right after George Floyd passed. Wow. And where were you living at the time? In New York. Okay, you were living yeah, in, New York. in New York. And then to work for revolt, you had to move to L.A.? I did, but didn't, meaning it was COVID. Oh, you live in so New nobody, York right now? No, but it was oh. COVID, so nobody cared where you lived, okay, right? Okay. But um, it was COVID in New York, and New York was terrible. Like, it yeah. was the hot spot, ambulances going on. No, like, whenever I meet people who, like, don't believe COVID was a, was a real thing, I'm like, where were you living? Because where I was living, it was so <laughs> It was real. like bodies everywhere, right? Exactly. They had bodies stacked up, Ex- I heard. Exactly. It was, it was bodies, intense. they had 18-wheelers. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. And so, for me... Uh, it was just like, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Revolts in LA. At some point in time, I'm going to have to be in LA. LA is probably going to be a much healthier place for mm-hmm. me. And so I chose to make the move. And wow. definitely one of the best decisions I made in 2020. Really? Yeah. I, much I, healthier than I would have been staying in New York. Really? I miss yeah. the Chinese food of New York okay. and, and the pizza. <laughs> to be honest, I do. Like when you my brother my brother flies in, I'm like, bring some egg rolls. Okay. He's like, egg rolls? I'm like... Just bring them. And they'll, like, throw me a bag of egg rolls. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. I've never been big on Chinese food, but I love New York pizza. Yeah, yeah. There's there's nothing like it. Even the ones in L.A. that call themselves New York pizza Mm -hmm. ain't quite right. So I know we're short on time, so we're going to have to split this um, omelet. Yes. And then... uh, Look, first of all, can I get halfway credit for making a decent looking omelet this, while talking? I know I went on a long story, but it's because I was multitasking. It, it looks very good. I'm very proud of you. Thank you, Queen. Um, I haven't had imitation. The last time I had imitation crab meat was so long ago. I remember when I was young, I loved the taste of it. And I begged my dad to buy me a bag of imitation crab meat. Mm-hmm. I caused the scene and he was like, okay, if I buy it, you got to eat the whole thing tonight. <laughs> I was like, sure, no problem, dad. And let's just say I never liked imitation crab meat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like to this day, I'm, I fear it because. Well, we're about that. to see how you ha- We're about to see if we can change that. Yeah. Okay, look, so I what use an obnoxious the- amount of hot sauce. Yeah, I hope you can make it through because I've seen people on this show do what you just did and drown it in hot sauce and then they end up choking. You, so. won't, even know- you won't even notice that I did it. I won't okay. even notice that I did okay, it. Okay, because this is my just life. For, the re- for everyone that's listening, he, <laughs> he, he bathed it in hot sauce. So it looks. It, I can't believe it's you an got omelet me to- that looks red. It looks like it's a bloody omelet. I can't believe you got me to tell people my salary. Yeah, that's good. You know what? I feel like, you know, I'm 
I'm 30, I'm 38. Mm-hmm. Um, I can honestly say I've, I've never seen that type of money, you mm-hmm. know, manifest, manifest. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe one day. But I think it's an incredible feat when you come from humble beginnings. And, and we've talked before taping about like, you know, when you come from humble beginnings, do you ever feel like an imposter? Do you ever mm-hmm. feel like when is the gig up? And I, for me, I, I face that every day. Maybe that's why I don't mm. move in the same circles. Plus, it's very hard for me to have the network that, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't go to school. So I have a couple entrepreneur friends that do very well. Um, but every time I do something, I still have that little person that's like, you know, when is it, when is the gig, when am I going to be exposed yeah. for this, yeah. you know, fraudulent, somehow miracle opportunity that happened, you know? Yeah. What's so. crazy is um, imposter syndrome is something that minorities, women, typically marginalized people face, right? And we'll tell each other we got to fake it till you make it. Um, the crazy piece is um, oftentimes our counterparts, our white counterparts who may be less qualified, have less hustle never have that feeling you know what I mean and so um, it's only in our culture and it's only in our world where we feel like um, a we believe that the world is a meritocracy and if we didn't earn that specific thing then we're not ready so many people are handed opportunities because of privilege Mm -hmm. and they never feel like we do you know what I mean so for me it's up to us to fake it till we make it find our way to get past that hurdle so that we can actually be who the heck we're supposed to be. Yeah. When I look at people like Kanye or... Mm, love Kanye. Or anyone that's making it or or painting the world that they feel that they should be living in, Amen. I have so much admiration because Same. it takes a certain level of confidence. I know Same. some people say that Kanye has mental health issues or what have you. I personally don't feel like he has mental health. Mm. I just think he's borderline genius. Mm. And I say that because I remember... Years and years ago, I went to a album release party of his, and mm. he was, like, interning to learn fashion, and everyone in the crowd couldn't make sense of anything he was talking about. And I was like, you know what? I just think he's a little too smart mm. for everybody right mm. now, you know? And But I think there's a certain level of confidence. Like, when you look at Diddy and you look at all these people, it's like they had a level of—I I tell people, like, I'm a little crazy. That's I'm exactly crazy it. because I believe that I can take some— crazy idea of mine and bring it to life that's, you know that's exactly but um but when i see them they they don't seem to show that level of fear like that i internally had the imposters uh, which is the first time i've ever heard that term mm-hmm. um but you you've never experienced it no no, no. all the time every oh, promotion every new job um it's gonna come again mm-hmm. you just gotta fake it till you make it you gotta okay. push past okay that's my belief i also just believe um as a man of god um who's very much into my faith that life is so much about the faith walk mm-hmm. and so while i may feel this way if i believe i was called to do something else then i just have to have the faith to keep walking and so for me it's okay to have the mm, here's what i want to say emotions are data not directions and so you might feel like you aren't capable. You might feel like you're not qualified, but that's not necessarily true. Those are just emotions. Emotions are data. Not directions. Not directions. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Okay. <laughs> so do you have a fun um, Diddy story? Uh, all my Diddy stories are fun. Um, but here's what I'll tell you. Here's what I'll tell you about what's really amazing mm-hmm. about working um, with Sean Combs, um, our chairman. One... 
Um, like everything that you're just talking about, imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. like you can't work for him and have that. He makes you feel mm -hmm. like you can run through every single wall, no matter if it's made of concrete, titanium, no matter what it is. When you deal with a man like Sean Combe, he only operates in magnitude, right? He wants to be the first, the biggest, but everything that you see about him okay. is, is true. And so he pushes you to dream the impossible, but then he puts the battery in your back to go get it. And um, that is such a special wow. and an amazing feeling. And then the other thing that I think um, that Sean Combs has done for me is like permission to not only be fearless, but to be like my authentic self, mm -hmm. um, permission to be bold, permission to be courageous. Um, so much of what I do right now is um, standing in our marketplace, championing black culture, championing black people. And it's, and the reason I'm able to do that is because there is a earthly king on top who is pushing me to do it every single day and to do it in a way that is authentic to myself and in a way that is authentic to the culture. And that is such a special, special thing. So um, I'm grateful. This is, you know, again, one of the best decisions I would have ever made in my life um, working for Sean Combs. And um, yeah, he's a unique, he's a unique leader, creative, visionary, icon, all those things. Um, but what he does for me personally is really, really special. And as CEO of a media empire, and I've asked you off off camera or off recording, yeah. um, I feel like there's there's an obvious pressure when you're doing any type of media. It's eyeballs. How many people are watching? How many views? You know, you're 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 betting against eyeballs, yeah. and we know as a culture, eyeballs goes to. Primarily, and I hate to say it, but negative content. You know, sexual content. Yeah. Uh, violent content, that's what gets the eyeballs. That's what gets trending. That's what gets views. How do you deliver feel-good culture for our culture? Because yeah. majority of our culture isn't what is portrayed. You yeah. know, there's, a, a, I'm not saying abundance of Black executives or people of power, but I'm saying that there's a lot of positive conversation that's happening outside of drugs, sex, and violence. How do you find the balance of doing the, I guess the, I don't want to say bad imagery, but how do you find the balance of, yeah. do, do you how to understand? I don't yeah. know how to form the question. No, I got but. you. I got you. Um, first of all, hip hop is hip hop. So it's going to be what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And so if you are a company with hip hop at its core, mm -hmm. you're going to have the, the core elements of hip hop as a part of your storytelling. I think for us, it's just really important to also have that balance. Um, and what we know about hip hop is that when hip hop talks, the world moves. Mm -hmm. The problem is people only hand hip hop the microphone when they want to talk about sex, money, drugs and mm -hmm. music. We hand hip hop the microphone and let them talk about mental health and financial literacy and uplifting black women. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So we can take the same um, the same core, the same anchor and redeploy it in different ways. And so, so much of what we're doing, the work that I'm excited about is about feeding black people information and education, but wrapping it up in a hip hop, culturally relevant, cultural lifestyle packaging. And so we kind of talked about this, but like one of my favorite ideas is the show we have with these young men from Earn Your Leisure who are amazing, Troy and Rashad. Um, they have the dopest financial wealth empowerment platform for the culture. 
that exists. And we have a show with them called Assets Over Liabilities. Mm -hmm. And Assets Over Liabilities is essentially almost like a Yo MTV Cribs reboot. Um, but yes, like while you see the chains and the cars and the house, like the whole conversation is anchored in how did you build wealth? Yeah. What is your next investment? Yeah. What is your first investment? And so you can take that same hip hop. You can take Rick Ross and have him teach people about financial wealth. Mm -hmm. You can take G Erbo and have him teach people about mental wellness. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, I think it's just about leveraging the, the same what we have the most powerful weapon on the planet, which is hip hop. Hip hop is the number one most listened yeah. to music on around the globe. Wow. Right. It, it drives the culture. Yeah. And so we're also going to use that that weapon to drive the culture for good. Yeah. I think that's a key piece of it. Yeah, I feel like people of color, Black people, uh, people that are in underserved communities are so hungry for mm -hmm. that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like, what's credit? You know, like, when I was growing up, my parents didn't have the conversation of credit. I didn't mm -hmm. learn about credit or taxes until I got, like, liens on all my stuff. Until yeah. it was too you know, late. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, trying to apply for an apartment with credit. Like, what? You know? Um, and now we're in a world where you have, like you said, earn your leisure and you have social media and you have these little clips that are like, you know, real estate over cars. And who needs when was the last time Jay-Z wore a chain, you know? And I, I feel like it, we're in an incredible place now because you no longer have to rely on your parents. Unfortunately, that were maybe they weren't fortunate enough to come across this information, you know, when they had us, you know? Yeah, the problem is no one is talking to us in our language, yeah. right? Like um, all of content is typically greenlit by people who don't look like us. Mm -hmm. And so then they don't have our perspective or our lens and our gaze. And so is the information out there? Sure. But is it presented in a way um, that some of our people who couldn't catch it in those ways um, can catch it in a way that is relevant to them? And that's what we spend our time doing. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you something. And I hope you can share this with us from a black media company mm. perspective. You're dealing you're dealing with a, a lot of I don't know if it's white media or, or, you know, big corporations. What would you say is the biggest challenge? In that industry that you're going up against as a black owned, like specifically as black owned, what would you say is the biggest challenge? Yeah. So. Look, there's a bunch of different valuations about how big the total advertising market is. But mm -hmm. for the purpose of this conversation, let's say it's $250 billion, right? Out of that $250 billion, Black-owned media gets 1%. So that's $2.5 billion, right? So then when you go work with big brands, they don't change their expectations about the quality of work or what you can deliver based on the fact that you're making 1% of the money, right? They have those same expectations. And so our biggest challenge has been um, getting advertisers and brands to see us, getting them to unlock the dollars so that we can produce the content that we know that our culture needs. And Revolt has been um, a force to be reckoned with, I would say, over the last two years in terms of helping brands understand that not only do they have um, a social responsibility to um, spend more with Black-owned media, but that the world has changed. Like back in the days, you used to be able to just make good product and people would pick you. Um, now you have to have good product and purpose or good product and values. And those values have to be flushed all the way through your business model. And so the way I, I start to learn that lesson is I'm at a conference and I'm looking at five tables of bottled water. And the woman walks up to me as I'm trying to choose which bottle I'm going to get. She says, 
Don't get that bottle of water. That's Betsy DeVos's water, right? All water isn't created equal because the person on top of that does not have your values. And so, so much of what we're doing is trying to get brands to understand you might have a great product, but people also care about your values. Your yes. investors mm-hmm. care about your values. Your employees care about your values and your consumers care about your values. And then one of the number, you know, top things that they care about is how brands are dealing with racial equity and racial injustice. Mm-hmm. And so we just keep ringing that alarm, um, helping brands understand that their job has changed. No longer do you just get to hit your numbers, but now you got to hit your numbers and help create the world that your consumers and investors want to live in. Um, and through that, we've been very successful at um, unlocking dollars. The key last piece that I want to say about that, because I've been doing this for 10, 15 years and it's never worked. When George Floyd was murdered, it shifted the algorithm. And so once you have that and everybody is on pause and now we can all see that maybe this thing called systemic racism really does exist, um, that opens the door for these new conversations. And so look, we've got great brand partners, you know, Target, State Farm, Pepsi, um, McDonald's, Cadillac, um, brands who are truly invested in us because they're invested in our culture and our community. And uh, we just keep looking for partners like that um, because they enable us to do the great work that Revolt is trying to do. Now, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, guys, we're going to go over time. I'm just going to say it. I <laughs> So, and you didn't need that omelet. Like, I, I tasted it first. I tasted it first before it. just oh, to make sure. Man. I'm like, let me make sure <laughs> okay. she's not gonna die. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> let me try it. And you took a big bite too. Mm-hmm. Are we okay? It's I, actually not that bad. Okay, see. And um, I don't eat a lot of imitation crab. Thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. Thirty year old recipe. I'll well, even take another bite. Be. Okay, you don't have to. But um, <laughs> you know what it is. Mm. Your wealth of knowledge. Mm. Um, the omelet is really good. I'm not going to lie. I will finish the omelet, everybody. <laughs> um, but while I have you here. Yes, of course. Um, I've had different influencers uh, come on the show, and they all said that after the George mm. Floyd situation happened, mm. all of the advertisers, you know, they, they make their money from advertisers were seeking them out, and they made the most money they had ever made Correct. during that error is there a part of you that's like a love-hate relationship with that where it's like wow we waited all this time and it took this huge you know event to happen for us to actually get a a bump and do you see a bump in advertising now is it more than one percent yeah so essentially what happened is last year in march and i'll give byron allen um credit byron allen starts suing companies for being racist that creates this wave um, where where brands become more afraid of the PR crisis mm-hmm. um, than they do of making commitments to black media. So what they all start doing is making commitments that sound like black media is only 1% of our spend. We're going to take it to 2% of our spend next year and then 3 4 5% by 2025. And so what's happening in my market right now is I'm in a market that is growing 4 to 5x over the course of the next four years. Black-owned media is now growing like a tech stock. Um, which is why you see us being able to do all of the things that we do. Revolt had, you know, look, I've set these numbers publicly so I can say them here. Um, Last year, our advertising business grew 3x. Mm -hmm. My digital advertising business grew 5x. Are you guys publicly traded? No, we're not publicly traded. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our profit I had to ask, I had to ask. You get stock options as a CEO or, or no? 
Um, it all, now, I know that I'm asking very yeah, invasive the, questions. The, the real answer to that is always what you choose to negotiate and where you put value, okay, right? Okay. And so the core three things that I think that as a CEO you're negotiating is salary, bonus, and equity, mm-hmm. and everybody's going to choose which one is more 100%, priority. Yeah. 100%. I, I have a feeling I know which way you went. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really genuinely enjoyed having you here because you expose like so many different facets Mm. that I'm not even used to having on the show from education Mm. and the values there. Um, There was one other question I had that was going to, I forgot. You're going to try to smack me? Uh, Yeah. You know what? It's, it's good because it's like we're learning so much. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. You came from advertising Mm -hmm. and then you're the CEO of Revolt, you know, from a perspective, like after hearing your story, it makes perfect sense mm. how they chose you and why they chose you because you're like the triple threat. You're like the girl that could sing, dance, model, you know, like you can do it all because you understand the language of the advertising perspective and you understand the language, you know, the the media side. So you're a... You lit hey, I appreciate um the way you said that and thank you, honored. Um, but you literally like any interview that I'm in, that's exactly what I would say. That what has made me unique is that I started on the client side at Johnson and Johnson. And so I have wow. an inkling of what brands and advertisers want. Then I went to the creative agency side and learned the power of ideas and creative content. And then I went to work for Kathy Hughes where she gave me, her and Alfred Liggins gave me a digital media business to run. I had never ran digital, didn't know how to run. They gave me a digital business to run. I had, never, I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah. But then I learned digital and I learned media. And so, yes, now I get to see the client perspective, wow. the advertising agency perspective, and the media perspective. And I believe that that lens is what makes my lens unique from others. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you 
every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Now, you being young, you you have a wealth of experience, so I'm pretty sure it doesn't really matter. But mm. do you ever feel that you being young has had its hindrances? Like, oh, for you, sure. Like what? Share. Yeah, the whole time. Um, so you have to imagine, um, you know, uh, and these titles will mean nothing. Um, but I probably became a group account director at an agency at 26. Again, I became the president of an agency at 30. Um, and you have to imagine that a lot of the people who work for me were older, older, um, with a lot more lived experience mm-hmm. in the space. And so figuring out how to be a leader who um, could rally people who were younger, but most importantly, older, to respect you enough to follow. For me, leadership is about followership, right? So earning followership as a young kid was really difficult. And then um, walking into clients and convincing them that they should give you tens of millions of mm-hmm. dollars to make commercials and that you were the leader to help drive that business, also a very um, difficult thing. And then the other piece that I'll say is internally, um, there's always this question of like what your motivation is. Because when people see you move up the chain as quickly as I was fortunate enough yeah. to do, 
Um, there's always this idea that you're not really here for the business. You're just here for yourself. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Like you're not a life person. You're, 100%. You're temporary. Can we, are they going to stay for You're just here to build your brand and get out. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so, again, earning fellowship in that reality um, was really difficult. In fact, even me doing things like this and being on this wonderful podcast that you have is a newer thing for me because in order to lead, in order to prove to people that I wasn't there just to build my brand, I stood in the background and pushed everybody ahead. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's not until, you know, last year where I start doing more to kind of step into the light and I honestly don't love it. But I think it's part of the assignment. And when you're yeah. the CEO of a brand, you have to be the face of a brand. Um, but I spent my entire career hiding in the back so that my teams knew that they were the most important thing and that the work was the most important thing and that it wasn't about building my personal brand. Wow. Wow. So, I don't know. I'm just going to go Ask. over. We're oh. here. Yeah. We're going to edit. So, Look, I rambled in the beginning. So you good? <laughs> we'll just run it. We'll, we won't. Um, so when it comes to leading a team yeah. um, and coming from advertising, I always tell people, I mean, I've worked for myself for abundance of years, and mm. I always say people underestimate sales, mm. financial literacy and sales. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're running a business, everyone assumes no matter how big the business is, there's no cash flow problems. Mm -hmm. I can tell you. I've seen all types of businesses, big and small. Cash flow plays a critical role in mm -hmm. whether they stay alive month to month. Mm -hmm. But one thing people always look down their nose on is sales. How much yeah. of your role would you say the ability to sell played a huge like a, a role in it? Seventy five percent. I don't really know, but mm -hmm. I think that if you're an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. the number one thing you're doing is selling. Mm -hmm. I spend all of my time selling to investors, trying to unlock hundreds of millions of dollars so that we can tell black stories that have not been told. Mm -hmm. I spend all of my time sitting with brands and advertisers, trying to unlock millions of dollars so that we can keep the company open, feed families and give um, people of color in this wonderfully diverse group of company that we have um, so that they can feed their families and eat and we can grow the business. I spend all of my time selling to the media, telling our stories so that people are paying attention to the work that we're doing. It's all sales, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I'm so glad you said that because I feel like people under, they don't talk about it enough. Yeah, it's all sales. It's all sales. You could have the best business on the planet, but if you can't tell that story, mm -hmm. if you can't get people excited about the work that you're doing, um, it'll flounder, right? You won't be able to unlock the dollars that you need for the mission that you're trying to accomplish. Now, you sell the investment correct so when you you run a team i try i'm trying to imagine what a day in the life of you is i stalked your instagram okay, okay. so i know you swim in the morning yes, like sure. i did the cyber stalking like how <laughs> girls do it <laughs> i've been i've been stalking for about three months okay say, okay so um so when you're running a team um and i'm just trying to envision your life because i've been trying to do it for a couple months now so Besides the swimming in the mornings, which you seem to be very passionate about, mm -hmm. um, do you have to like, does your advertising team have to come to you and like, this is how much you sold? And you're like, you better sell it better. You know, we're having a problem with, I don't want to say Target because Target's definitely been stepping up their game. But like some advertiser that's like hard to close, do you like step in and like micromanage a little bit? I don't yeah. want to say micromanage, definitely but not a micromanager. or do you like say something like. Is there like a text or something? <laughs> I want to know. Uh, in general, the way that I would say it is um, I try to build empowered teams. Mm -hmm. I'm super um, and have empowered leaders. And I'm super passionate about that for all people of all colors and all walks of life. But I'm specifically passionate about it for people of color and women because oftentimes 
where in the, when they're in these other companies, they don't get to take their shot. Mm-hmm. You don't know if your ideas are good if no one ever lets you get your idea off the ground. Yeah. And so I try to create a space that gives people fertile ground to kind of understand what they're capable of. And so I'm blessed. We have an incredible sales leader at Revolt named Mike Roach. He and his team are doing a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. And so I stay out of Mike's business. Mike <laughs> lets me know when he needs me. If he needs me, if it's a CEO to CEO conversation okay, that has okay. to be had, if okay. it's a CMO to you know, CEO conversation that needs to be had. He'll call me um, big pitches. He'll call me. He also knows that I have lots of relationships on that side. So there are potentially doors I can help him get into. But that team is doing what they're doing. And I will take zero of their credit. They're phenomenal. So my last question, and then we'll, I'm going to ask you many questions once we're done. (laughs) Um, You have a hundred, I would say it was 75 to a hundred staff. I'm assuming, right? Uh, okay. Um, out of all those staff, mm. how many would you say have a college degree? I don't know because I've never looked at it, but here's what I'll say. I say all the time that Revolt is streets and suites. We have people who... Suites meaning like the boardroom. So mm-hmm. people who maybe come from more of my background, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got, um, when I look at my executive team, you got people from Harvard and Stanford and Duke and UCLA. Um, but you also have people who never graduated from college. You also have people who sold drugs before this. You also have people who came from the nightlife. And I think, or I believe, and I know that what makes Revolt special is that we are figuring out that balance every day. There's a lot of companies who are trying to do work for the culture and they're just suites. There's a lot of people who are trying to do work for the culture and they're just streets. Mm-hmm. It is this combination of streets and suites um, that makes us unique and special. And so I don't know about what it is throughout the entire okay. organization. But you, you but answered I, it. You okay. basically answered yeah. it. I'm glad to know that. There's opportunities for us regular folks, guys out there. <laughs> yeah, look, our chief brand officer, Dion um, Graham, who mm-hmm. is... Um, one of my closest business partners on this brand, Dion, dropped out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'll tell his story. Dion dropped out of college to sell drugs, went into the nightlife, started working for Sean. He's our chief brand officer, right? What? And so um, for us, it is not about, um, it does not have to be about education. Mm-hmm. It's about your taste profile, who mm-hmm. you are, the work you're trying to do. Are you committed to this mission where we're trying to shift the narrative for black people mm-hmm. globally? Um, do you have a lived experience that can help us move this business in a phenomenal way? And some of those people are going to go to Harvard or have gone to Harvard. And some of them would have never seen a college campus in their life. Right. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. I'm so glad that you came out because I was I was like, uh, I don't know if he's going to do it. Then I was self-conscious of our studio. I'm so, so relieved to have met you. I Again, from the stalking of the profiles to the titles, <laughs> it, it was it was a bit of a roller coaster for me. And I'm so happy to hear that Diddy sounds exactly like what I've imagined him to be. I'm sure I'm sure there's a bravado that I've also imagined. You know, uh, when I was. Young, I remember always saying, I want to be a mobile. I want to be like Diddy. I want to be like Russell Simmons. You know, they would wear these white suits. And, you know, I just, I always thought they were just so impressive. And I've bumped into Diddy in L.A. when I was younger. And I was like, oh, I'm not big enough to meet him yet. So, you know, (laughs) when I blow up, I'll, you know, work with him or what have you. Um, But it's great to hear that, you know, Revolt has done what it's done. And Diddy has done what he's done. And you have done what you've done. And it's amazing and impressive that you came from humble beginnings Mm. and here you are 
one of the top young executives. Thank you for you know, sticking with me that young credit. Young. <laughs> young. Well, thank you for joining me on another episode of Eating While Bro. Yes, of course. Please feel free to come by and uh, eat real Jamaican food with me and, and not imitation crab uh, omelets. Right. Well, I want to say thank you for having me. I think um, for me, this conversation is refreshing. It's like you get tons of interviews and you never know what the conversation is going to be. But I definitely think we had a fresh conversation. I think um, even for me, right, I'm here to serve. But I think that this platform also gives me an opportunity to say things that I don't get to say in other places. Literally, you got my salary out of my mouth. Right? So <laughs> beyond that, you just gave me the opportunity to say things that I don't always get to say. And so um, cheering you on, celebrating you. Thank love you. the studio. Love what you're building. Keep going, Queen. We're here to help Thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> Peace out. Maybe we'll be on Revolt one day, okay? Yeah, you maybe. know? Maybe. You never know. All right. Peace out, y'all. For more Eating While Broke from iHeartRadio and The Black Effect, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Eating While Broke. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.